0: Hey, how's it going listeners? My name's Tyler and you're listening to Horrors Home Podcast. This week is Friday the thirteenth, so I'm gonna be very original and cover the nineteen eighty film directed by Sean S. Cunningham and written by Victor Miller, starring Adrian King, Betsy Palmer, a young Kevin Bacon and Ari Lehman, which I just learned Ari, who played of childhood Jason Voorhees in the film, has a band called First Jason. I haven't listened to their music, but that's pretty funny. So this film's over 40 years old now, and it's pretty crazy to think that back after this movie came out, as well as the sequel, no one thought of like a hockey mask whenever they heard the name of this franchise, or let alone knew like what the 12-movie franchise would become. A quick run-through of all the franchise entries so far would include Friday the 13th from 1980, Part 2 from 1981, Part 3 from 1982, The Final Chapter from 1984, A New Beginning from 1985, Part 6, Jason Lives from 1986, Part 7, The New Blood from 1988, Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan from 1989, Jason Goes to Hell from 1993, Jason X from 2002, Freddy vs. Jason in 2003, and the Friday the 13th remake from 2009. Not to mention some pretty great fan-made films by Womp Stomp Films that you can watch on YouTube, like Never Hike Alone, Never Hike in the Snow, and Jason Rising. All those each are about 50 minutes to over an hour, so they're actually pretty well-made. I definitely recommend checking them out. In 1987, Paramount began airing a 72-episode series titled Friday the 13th, The Series. Unrelated to the films or Jason, but still use the name and the font from the franchise, I haven't watched any of that, but it's part of the franchise just because of the title as of now there is a prequel series in the works titled crystal lake it's being written and produced by the original creator victor miller and also brian fuller who created the hannibal series it's an 824 production and set to premiere on peacock hopefully this year if not next year back to the 1980 film friday the 13th follows a group of teenage camp counselors who are murdered one by one by an unknown killer while attempting to reopen an abandoned summer camp Fright 13th has to be the biggest camp slasher of all time. There were other films in the 80s that were made in the same vein, like The Burning or Sleepaway Camp, but those movies didn't have a Voorhees. Throughout the spawn of the franchise, Jason would become one of the most iconic characters in horror movies, donning his hockey mask and a machete with the unlimited number of creative weapons that would follow. I even have, like, the complete collection, and it has, like, a kill count in each little booklet and it shows all the different weapons or lists all the different weapons that he uses it just gets out there like i think even maybe in it's in part eight he uses a guitar to kill someone um, i'm gonna take a quick musical break and then we'll get into the plot for friday the 13th from 1980 The story begins in 1958 at Camp Crystal Lake. Two counselors sneak inside a storage cabin to have sex, then an unseen assailant murders them. In the present day, 1979, Camp Counselor Annie is driven halfway to the reopened Camp Crystal Lake by a truck driver, despite warnings from the character Crazy Ralph and other disgusted reactions from the townspeople. While driving, the driver warns Annie about the camp's troubled past, beginning when a young boy drowned in the Crystal Lake in 1957. After being dropped off, she hitches another ride from an unseen person who drives her past the camp. When Annie escapes the vehicle, the killer chases her into the woods and slashes her throat. I like the killer's POV in 1958 at the beginning, sneaking up and killing the counselors. Similar feeling to the opening of Halloween a couple years prior, which makes sense because that movie apparently, like, inspired Sean S. Cunningham to make what he called, like, a roller coaster of a film, or at least that's what he had hoped for, this movie. It was a little funny at the beginning. Whenever the woman was being like backed into a corner, she was like throwing little harmless items in an attempt to fight off the killer, like things that just wouldn't do anything. Fast forward to 1979, and we get the typical scene, like where Annie walks into a diner or whatever, and everyone turns around to see an out of towner. Luckily, it didn't go much further than that. It's not like they like ran her out of there, and luckily the truck driver gave her a ride. When she's picked up by another driver who is silent, we already know like that's got to be the killer because we also get their POV. And he's killed and it's pretty cool that like the movie just started and we're already like three kills in so quickly. At the camp, counselors Ned, Jack, Bill, Marcy, Brenda, and Alice, along with the owner Steve, refurbish the cabins and facilities. As a thunderstorm approaches, Steve leaves the campground to stock with supplies. Ned sees someone walk into a cabin and follows. While Jack and Marcy have sex in one of the cabin's bunk beds, they're unaware that Ned's dead body is above them, with his throat having been slit. When Marcy leaves to use the bathroom after they have sex, Jack's throat is pierced with an arrow from beneath the bed. The killer follows Marcy into the bathroom and drives an axe into her face. When Brenda turns in for the night, she hears a little boy's voice calling for help. Adventures outside to the archery range where the lights have turned on. Brenda screams. Later, Steve returns and recognizes the unseen killer who stabs him to death. Now we've gotten to meet most of the camp counselors, and in that description, most of them are dead. Um, kind of the normal group, consisting, like, a distanced artsy girl, a jokester character, a cool guy, etc. Which, of course, Kevin Bacon's the cool guy. Steve comes off a little weird towards Alice, the one who's, like, the head of the camp counselors. He's, like, caressing her hair and... He's like begging her to stay. Apparently something happened like the night before and she's telling him she'll stay for another week, give him a chance, blah, blah, blah. And Steve like allegedly leaves the camp. Could have been suspicious for the audience, but it was never like talked about by the characters later in the film, like wondering if he was the one doing this. And we do see him again. Um, There's even a scene with a snake and one of the characters, I think Bill, is the one that kills him with a machete kills the snake with a machete then turns back to look at it afterwards like kind of i don't know they might have been utilizing like those two scenarios for example to make it kind of into like a whodunit sort of angle i imagine like at that time audience members assumed like one of the camp counselors were going to be the killer so these could have been things that were hinting at that i'm really not sure um, these parts of the movie were also setting up for future kills, showing off uh, showing off the cabins, the lake, and the archery range. J- Jack played by Kevin Bacon, his death is pretty iconic, wherever he gets his throat stabbed by the arrow through the bottom of the bed. Special effects like this scene were done by Tom Savini, who's worked on so many movies, a lot of horror fans already know who he is. Apparently, the mechanism was supposed to, like, spurt out blood, wasn't working properly, and they had to, like, blow into the tube from under the bed to get it to shoot out like you see it in the film. Marcy's death scene in the bathhouse was a little suspenseful, while she thinks it was like the guys are just playing a prank on her until the killer actually does appear and strikes her with the axe. It doesn't show the axe, make contact, but we do see, like, the aftermath, and it does look good for that time especially, like, just those practical effects. But that's expected with Tom Savini's work. Brenda was killed on the archery range as she was, like, scared there by Ned at the start of the film. So I saw that coming. You don't even really see her get killed. But I know with all these movies of the Friday 13th franchise, a lot of them were kind of cut up to get their R rating because otherwise it was going to be, like, even, was it, I guess, NC's, or not NC-17, but X rating because they were too graphic, so they had to cut it down just to get an R rating. So the MPAA did that a lot throughout the entire franchise so that's why you don't really get to see a lot of the kills but like the aftermath of them Steve is at a diner and comes back to the camp so again that kind of shows like he wasn't the killer and he is killed upon arrival so all that just debunked like any theory that i had clearly well that anyone would have had i've already seen this movie Worried by their friends' disappearances, Alice and Bill leave the main cabin to investigate. They find the axe in Brenda's bed. The phone's disconnected and Ned's truck won't start. When the power goes out, Bill goes to check on the generator. Alice heads out to look for him and finds his body pinned with arrows to the generator room door. She flees to the main cabin to hide, only to be traumatized further whenever Brenda's body is thrown through the window. Soon after, Alice sees a vehicle pull up, and she rushes outside, thinking it's probably Steve. Instead, she is greeted by Mrs. Voorhees, a middle-aged woman who claims to be an old friend of Steve and his family. Alice has now become, like, our final girl in the story, and we're introduced to Mrs. Voorhees. There was a sense of danger with everyone else, like, missing during the storm and when the power went out. They were scared, though, so it was, like, surprising that Alice would just fall asleep and stay asleep while Bill went to check on the generator. I guess they, like, didn't know that people were dead at that point. They just kind of thought everyone was just missing, and they were just kind of stuck. Otherwise, it could have been cool to even, like, make it feel more danger at the time, but instead, she just took a nap while Bill got killed. With no one else left, it's obvious, like, who the new additional character must be. Um, She reveals that her son Jason was the young boy who drowned in 1957, blaming his death on neglect by the counselors because they were having sex instead. Revealing herself as the killer, she attempts to kill Alice, but Alice knocks her unconscious. At the shore, Mrs. Voorhees tries to kill Alice again with a machete, but Alice gains the advantage and decapitates her. Exhausted, Alice boards and falls asleep inside of a canoe which floats out on Crystal Lake. Suddenly, a Jason-like decomposing corpse attacks her, at which point she awakens in a hospital surrounded by police and medical staff who are attending to her. When Alice asks about Jason, the sergeant says that there was no sign of any boy there. She says, then he's still there, as the lake is shown with ripples in the water. And that's the end of the film there. With the end of the film, I could only imagine the shock of audiences back in 1980 when Jason like emerges from the water and grabs Alice. Her waking up and being told that there was no boy adds a mystery element if she had like imagined it or if it actually happened. I do like that they connected it back to the beginning and the mention of a kid drowning was pretty like subtle compared to the counselors being murdered. I remember the first time I even got a glance at this movie was when I was pretty young. Not into horror movies yet and it was like on AMC around Halloween time. I didn't see all of the movie but I just saw the very beginning, like the POV going upstairs and what was implied that the counselors were doing. It wasn't until 2012 and I watched the films in its entirety and went through, like, the whole franchise. Now I even have a tattoo of Jason's mask on my horror sleeve with some, like, red and blue in there for, like, a third movie. like, 3D-style, fam- Friday 13, which was 3D. My plan is to go through the whole franchise in time. They're just, like, really fun movies. You love what Jason becomes, the throwaway cast of characters in each movie, over-the-top kills. That's what most people are actually watching these movies for. How the films changed with the times, because it goes into like the early 90s and then the early 2000s. And just like all the slasher tropes throughout. Because this set like the standard kind of for a mass killer, aside from Halloween. But just, this is whenever 1980 was like kind of the start of the slasher craze that was happening. So many low-budget slashers like The Slumber Party Massacre, My Bloody Valentine, and Pieces. The original Friday 13th is not my overall favorite in the franchise, but it is up there. It's a great, straightforward slasher, definitely a timepiece done well, and the start of a crazy and loved franchise that is long overdue for its 13th entry. Hopefully, they'll go all out whenever that finally gets made. I'd give Friday 13th from 1980 a 3 out of 5. Again, I recommend checking out the fan-made shorts like Never Hike Alone on YouTube because that will definitely satisfy any like hockey-masked killer need in the meantime. That's all I have for this episode. Please follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Horror's Home. If you like this episode, give me a rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. That really helps me get new listeners and people check out the show. Can't wait for some of the episodes that are coming up, like Saul, and new movies that are coming out this year, like Evil Dead Rise and The New Screen. Check out my last episode on Megan for a spoiler-free review. Until next time, my name's Tyler, and happy Friday the 13th.